Hello everyone, this is Will from Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to The Missing Piece. Now spring is officially here. Again, I said it many times on my show. Please, don't hesitate to go out and enjoy the beautiful weather. Well, if you really want to name one country today which is changing the world, most likely your answer could be Germany, America, or even China. Throughout histories, these nations indeed generated what I called noises, and socially and politically. But now today, I am not interested in talking about any of the countries. I want to talk about one specific nation. It's called Iceland. Now, Eagle Bjarnason reports on Iceland for the Soviet Press and frequently writes for the New York Times. And of course, that he's came out with a, a brand new book. It's called How Iceland Changed the History. And meanwhile, and based on his previous experiences, he also reported on the rest of the world for Icelandic readers publishing features and photographs from Afghanistan, Uganda, and West Africa. It's really a world or international traveler. So I want to say, Eagle, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so so much for having me. I can't relate to the feeling of spring. I'm looking outside my window here in northern Iceland, and uh, there are there is a bit of snow uh, and uh, cold. Well, cold today, but spring is around the corner. Let's hope. Right there, you go. Well, I mean, again, I am in Charlotte, and you're in Iceland. But let's get to the question. This is very fascinating, and just based on the title of the book. And it's called how Iceland changed the world. Can you can you walk us through a little bit? Why did you decide to write the book, and why would you even name the title to say Iceland changed the world? In what way? Sure. Yeah. Um, this this book. Um, it. I know the title is bold, but let me explain. I. I was work. I've been working for some time. I've been working as a as a stringer, is what they call it at the Associated Press, when you report mm. quite frequently about the country. And I'm the only reporter for the AP in Iceland, so I get to report on a variety of issues, from business to occasionally sports um, and uh, politics, and of course the environment. And one day I got this assignment, which was to update the obituary um, archive that the AP has, which is about a few hundred pre-written obituaries about people who have put a mark put a mark on on the on the world. So these are mostly famous people, royalty, but also the occasional. Uh, everyday heroes that that you know maybe sometime in the past they 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 did something that that had a, a, a real impact or they invented something like um, just the the, the the cassette or mm. phones the inventors of, of telephone sex or of famous kitty or something they they've all got in their own obituary and these are but in the case of of, of of uh, of uh, big historical figures, the AP wants to have those 
on file to release immediately. Uh, so I went looking around at which Icelandic heroes that might might be relevant for an international reader, and I I did find there are very few. But I also got to think about these sort of everyday Icelanders that have in some ways uh, changed the world, mm. and that got me thinking about that got me thinking about the book as a way to tell Iceland's history from beginning uh, through these characters. So this is this is the this is the history of Iceland told through these characters. Were some of them famous, some of them not. And some of them in in the position of power, some of them kind of just sort of accidentally been put to the task or given big responsibility and have made made their mark on, on the world. And another thing which sorry. No, um I don't wanna say ego, of course, for every single country Regardless the size, of course, today, we can't really, you know, in English, there's a saying we say, don't judge the book by its cover. Because the size actually has nothing to do with the history. Or, in other words, throughout the history, look at every single nation. It doesn't matter how big or how small, there are always some significant figures for the country because they actually gave their lives and they dedicate their entire life for, to, for, for the success of the country. Now, let's go back. So you went through the archive and looking at or even studied that the people who were the Icelanders and regardless they're famous or not, what did you find about those people? And why would you think these people were, would be so interesting not only to the readers domestically, but also to the audience internationally. So in other words, why do you think that people will be, need to be or should be interested in the heroes, based on what you said, from the, from Iceland? Why, why is that? Yeah, that is an excellent question. Why do I feel like it's important for an outsider to read about the history of Iceland? And one thing which was... I found really compelling uh, about the history of Iceland and which really made me want to write a book about it is the fact that the history of Iceland is something that's documented from day one. Mm. Iceland was was kind of the last was kind of the last territory in the northern hemisphere to be settled and that time period around the year 1000 kind of collided with the with the beginning of the written word, and all the, the and the settlers or kind of their their the first generations, they documented who came and what they did and and wrote all these sort of heroic tales and they also wrote about their belief system of Norse mythology. So Iceland already had this small importance in Northern Europe because of their the of the because of their their history of, of writing, um, so and I found I've always found that a bit fascinating because no other nation in Europe does remember or can tell its old beginning like that, and just to have that sort of natural story, be able to go from from almost day one, not, you know, in the 
in the in the most in the in the sense that it's of course based on oral history and all that. But to go from day one to to the modern day uh, was something I wanted to do. But I found that of course to write down the history of Iceland in a way that's told to school children in Iceland or the way I learned it wouldn't be as relevant to someone who is not born here and raised mm. here and doesn't have any connection to it. It just, in that sense, then why would you learn about the history of a small island nation? So that's why I wanted to tweak it in a way that it would tell the history of Iceland from this perspective of how Iceland impacted the outside world. So the book, in a way, although it covers the French Revolution, the Second World War, the medieval times, and the discovery of the North America, all these, all these events that that the um, that most people know about from history, um, and connects Iceland to them. The goal, in a way, is to tell Iceland's history. Mm. Well. Again, Eagle, as you mentioned that you, of course, based on what you just said, you actually touch on so many critical and also, I think the better word would be irreplaceable elements of the history. For example, World War II and French Revolution. Now, I don't want to talk about what happened in history because most people already familiar with those big events and because they were meaningful and they were unforgettable but i do want to pinpoint one special element would be the message of religion you know if i'm not mistaken in the history regarding world war ii or french revolution just looking at the general side from the european history perspective Religion played a critical role, especially the Catholicism. Now, again, um, I, I haven't um, get the chance to uh, fully read your book yet, but I do want you to explain, um, perhaps I dig a little deeper, is from religious perspective, how significant is Iceland? Or how significant was Iceland when, when we put all the dots together? Because we know that even though there were wars and even though there were conflicts, but religion still was a really rather significant or even, uh, even how can I say, um, just just a, a, a critical reason for a lot of things throughout the history actually took place. Can you dive into that a little bit from the religious perspective? Yeah, absolutely, and I think that uh, I think that's a, that's a that's a good point that that religion through religion we can we can learn a lot about Iceland's history. Iceland has from since the 13th century and up until the late 19th early 20th century, Iceland was part of first Norway and then Denmark, mm. and the Danish and the Norwegian kings. They usually wanted Iceland to follow when it came to religion and all these trends that we've seen throughout the centuries. Um, but if it had, if if the if the Danish 
kings and 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 all the the, the big powerhouses on the mainland, if they had not interfered in in Icelandic religion, I think we would have seen that Norse mythology would have survived for a longer time. It did. There was a a big uh, apostasy in in around the year thousand when the Icelandic Parliament decided to take up. Christian code of law, as opposed to their heathen code before, when people practiced a a, a multi-god religion where they worshipped, you know, the the god of thunder and and, and the god of wisdom and had these uh, uh, all these character, all this galley of characters that we know from Marvel movies today. Um, but they, they were kind of forced through, through, through the, through, through foreign meddling in, in local politics to, to take up Christianity. Mm. It's, today it's it it's a Protestant uh, nation. Mm. Okay. Well, let's talk about Iceland today, Eagle. You know, personally, I have never set foot. On this country, and of course, but that doesn't mean uh, there there will Not never yet. there will never be opportunity for me to do that because the the more you talk about not only how you uh, wrote this book but also related to so many um key elements in history, and I think it's very interesting to a lot more travelers and also a lot more readers uh, just to explore the you know the variety of the country. But again, let's talk about the country today. So, Eagle, from your perspective, what is the population number in Iceland today? That's the first question. And the second question is, will be something culturally so unique and something so far different from rest of the world? So, in other words, we know that, again, every single country has what we call national identity. Every single country has their own characteristics so again, the questions are two. Number one, what is the population number today in Iceland? And number two, how would you define the national identity of Iceland today? The first question is a lot easier because I know that at the top of my head, it's 350,000. And uh, not many years ago, it was just around 320, but in in uh, recent years, thanks to uh, a big economic boom here that's been driven by tourism largely, there have been a lot of migrants that have come to Iceland. So Iceland has, and maybe still is, a bit of a land of opportunities now. Mm. Where there's a people from all over Europe and some outside of Europe that, that move here for work. So the number is 350,000, and the nation is more diverse than it's ever been since settlement. Uh, mm. Of course, at the time of settlement, it was pretty diverse. Um, but um, um, so I'm thinking, how do I, would I define the national character today in our kind of more diverse uh, population? I think it's always the national, the, 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 the mood of the country is always going to be defined by how how important each individual is in such a small nation mm. so that means you feel in a way empowered by how much how vital you are to just 
the functioning of the entire country. There's always there, but they, we have always been quite lucky in a way that that unemployment rates have always been very low in Iceland, um, and upward mobility has been pretty high, and so I think people have have a strong sense of self because of that. They feel like they can write a book about the history of Iceland for <laughs> an international reader. <laughs> so, so that, so that I, I would say that's probably the main thing. Of course, there are like, it's far away from everything, you know, it's in a not so pleasant climate for most people that probably have an uh, impact on, on, you know, just how, how you relate to the other, to the outside world when you're in Iceland it feels kind of like you're in a small cult it's just you don't think about it. you don't think about the outside world as much as you would do I think in a big city um, in Europe or in America so I, I'll, I that, that would be my sort of initial response well, to your question but sure because again you know it's understandable that if someone asked me the question today, how would I define the characteristics of America or how would I define the characteristics of countries in Asia? It is rather difficult just to summarize it by using two to three words. But now let's get to the next question I, I want to ask you. Just like as the beginning we said, it's spring here, but it's snowy and also it's winter in Iceland and hopefully the snow is going to get better very soon. But today, there are a lot more countries are paying attention to something that, what well, we said, climate change. And it seems like more people are being so worried or being so concerned about this climate change or global warming is going to cause us to lose the beauty of the nature or even to lose the, the opportunities to appreciate what actually um, the, the country or the landscape you know, was originated. So, Eagle, from your perspective, again, you know, we say Iceland is a country in, uh, it's a smaller region, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned and we shouldn't address this issue. So, from your perspective, can you talk briefly do you think, number one, that climate change can impact the country such as Iceland? And the second thing is, um, what about the, from the government reaction? Is there any initiative or anything that are actually tackling this problem with the international communities? Yeah. Um, so, do... I'm sorry to, to go back to your question. You th is uh, the what, what if I think climate change is a problem in Iceland? Right. The 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 climate yeah, change. The cl yeah. The climate change. Do you think yeah. it's happening in Iceland? And number two is how does the government or how has the government done something to cooperate with international communities? Okay. Thank you. Uh, a climate change. It's definitely, it's a very visual, apparent problem in Iceland because we can see the ice disappear. And we have 
people requiring the glaciers retreat for the past decades, they were kind of a, a, their largest um, the beginning of the 20th century, but they've been receding since and receding faster than ever in the past decades. That is alarming for a couple of reasons. Of course, we can debate, you know, whether how about the beautiful landscape and how sad it is to see the glacier disappear. But if we just talk about it from a very human-centric perspective, this also means that, for instance, the power that Iceland creates comes from 80, 8%, 8% of it, it comes from hydroelectric dams, meaning that powerful glacier river runs through a turbine and creates energy. Mm. If these glaciers melt, we will lose our rivers and that will have a huge impact on the economy. So that's just one thing that the government is preparing for sometime in the future when there won't be enough ice. Now, it also creates opportunities for for Iceland because uh, for instance, if the melting of the Arctic will open up shipping routes to Asia, to China, and some people see that there could be a lot more international harbors on the northwestern, northeastern side of Iceland due to that in the in the future, and this opens up agricultural uh, opportunities to grow new crops, and um, so. Climate change is really problematic. People used to joke about it when I was young. They used to say, you know, I really hope that climate change comes and, you know, we can be all wearing just uh, T-shirts and <laughs> shorts. Um, I don't think people joke about it anymore mm. because they, they realize the seriousness of it. Of course, you know, we don't want to... Um, we want to contribute our share and the government has done that. We're trying to cut down carbon emissions um, in according to the Paris Agreement. So the government is spending a lot of money on this issue. But from, you know, from the sort of daily life perspective here, um, it, it, the climate change, I think, is a, it's a, it's a much more of a nuanced problem because it, it also means just kind of different things for a country that is that is so cold. Mm. And what what about the reaction from the government? How how has the government um contribute to to eliminate the threat to uh, climate change? Can you talk a little bit, Eagle? Yeah. Iceland is in a bit, a bit of an awkward position because we create a lot of energy through our uh, through our hydroelectric dams, and some of it is also geothermal, which means it's powered by from, from heating from underneath the earth from volcanic heating, and with that energy we power big industries. So we create aluminum. And uh, all these sort of heavy industries, these big companies have a presence in Iceland. So Iceland has a big carbon footprint 
because of that, because mm. it has a lot of energy that is green. This is greener than making aluminum with by burning wood or coal. Coal, but on the other hand, it makes Iceland a big uh, emitter. Mm. Mm. So, so the country, in a way, is is acknowledging what what it can do without you know without just shutting down these businesses and have them you know do their business in a with with uh, less clean energy and uh, and of course we we are also like you are familiar with and most people in in bigger cities are familiar with where there is a big push towards electric fleet car fleet and transportation um, and here it makes sense because electricity is very cheap uh, we have a lot of it and so we could easily power uh, our, 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 our even our fishing fleet could be powered mm. by electricity sometime soon and you know that I think that's a pretty exciting development because right now we're really dependent on oil that comes from very very far away okay well, um, Eagle, I have one more question before letting you go. As I okay. mentioned before in the intro, that you traveled internationally and you've been to a lot more countries. Here's question, and the last one I want you to um, share with us a, a little bit more is, throughout your travel experiences, which country that can you say today actually has closer relationship with Iceland. I mean, again, I'm now um, asking which country has to be the allies or has to be the best friends. But in just in terms of history, in terms of the culture, which country that you actually went or you've been to that sort of can really can make you feel this connection between Iceland and that nation? And why? Can you share with us a little bit? Yeah, I think a lot of people maybe might disagree. If you ask this question to an Icelander, what's the what? Who are your relatives in the world? They they would say they would say Denmark, maybe Norway, the other Scandinavian countries. But I would say that Iceland is much more closely related to the the New World, so mm. America, because we are a nation of settlers. We are a nation where the individual came or jumped up his boat and started his own life in a in a an empty or, or in our case it was empty um, and uh, land and and just kind of relied on no one but himself and lived kind of more for the day uh, and so we are we have that very individual thinking mm. and we are also expenders. We are not as conservative with our money as some of the <laughs> Europeans. So I find I always find more at home when I'm when I'm in the US than when I'm in I, I go a, a bit to Germany. I I sometimes go to, I've been to Scandinavia a few times on a ship that I used to work on. Um, and I just feel like their way of thinking is in the U.S., is more closely, more closer to ours 
than than on the mainland of Europe, where you know these nations have kind of developed over thousands of years, and that that just kind of affects how they think. Well, and also as you、uh, mentioned before, because of history and because these unforgettable or irreplaceable historical events that actually made the countries today are a lot more、um, tangible and also much closer. Well, Eagle Bjarnason reports on Iceland for the Associated Press and frequently writes for New York Times. And also, ladies and gentlemen, he's the author of the latest book, "How Iceland Changed the World." And I strongly encourage everyone to get a copy of the book. And of course, the book is gonna come out in in a month, right?、Um, and right now, you can、uh, pre-order Amazon. So again,、um, it's a very fascinating book. And again, just based on this limited time, I think I just got educated a lot. Regarding the history and the uniqueness from this book, again, Eagle, thank you so much for being on my show, and it has been a great time by talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Likewise, Will. Thank you so much, and I, I look forward to your visit to Iceland. I know you said you hadn't been here, but that's just a matter of time. Now you have to come here. Now I'll show you these Let, places. Well, there you go. You know it. Next time, when I'm when I am traveling to、uh, Iceland, I got a friend in Iceland. There you go. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You bet. You bet.